0: Welcome back to the Letters and Layers podcast. My name is Amaka. It is Monday morning when I am recording. It is the 22nd of January, and I am recording today because by the time this is out in the world, I would have returned from my trip, but by God's grace, This time tomorrow, I will be at the airport getting ready for my flight to the East Coast. And then subsequently, my flight across the pond for my trip to Portugal. I'm going with my sister and some good friends. So I am very, very excited. I'll probably share how the trip went um, on the next podcast episode. But yes, I am recording early because... I just want to make sure that there is nothing that stands in the way of me getting this out on time with my trip. And even though I will be back a few days before publishing day for the next episode, I just don't want to feel like I'm under a crunch of time or anything like that. So I was like, you know what, let me be, (laughs) let me do the right thing. Let me be responsible with this and, you know, have time to take my time and record this episode. So Yeah, things have been good with me. Um, It was a pretty chill weekend, kind of just getting ready for the trip. But honestly, I just kind of want to dive into the topic of this episode. And I am so excited to finally be getting back to you know, having completely book-focused episodes, and I promise this is going to be the essence of the podcast this year and moving forward. Um, There are going to be non-book episodes sprinkled in, and like I said on the last episode, I'm toying with the idea of maybe putting out like bonus micro-episodes here and there, depending on when the mood strikes me and if I really have something I want to share. But yes, I want to focus this episode again, refocus it on books, and particularly on books by Black female authors. So we're starting this with Thicker Than Water by Carrie Washington. I bought this book f- before the holidays. I can't remember exactly when, but it was maybe early December. And I sat on it for a little bit. But I finally picked it up and the reason why I decided to buy it at all is because I'm a fan of Carrie Washington and I, you know, like many other people have been curious about her life. She is very private with, you know, her personal life very much pushes you know her career that is what she you know shares with the world which you know obviously makes sense she's an actor so you know when she announced that she was putting out this book and did a couple of interviews I saw her interview with um Charlamagne and DJ Envy on The Breakfast Club and I saw that she did an interview with Oprah as well but I didn't watch that one um Yeah, ultimately, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy this book. I'm very interested in the story that she has to share. And she talked a little bit about on The Breakfast Club that she found out she is not biologically related to her father and that before she was born, her mom had a baby who was unfortunately a stillborn in a previous marriage, got divorced, got remarried, um, was having issues conceiving with her husband, Carrie's father, and they decided to take what was back then considered an unusual approach and go for a sperm donor. So she was conceived um, with a sperm donor. You know, her mom went through the process of getting artificially inseminated and that's how Carrie, you know, became, came to be. Another reason why I was interested in reading it is because she's married to a Nigerian guy, an Igbo guy, um, Namdi Asomwa. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right. And I feel very ashamed (laughs) because we are from the same tribe in Nigeria, but yes, she's married to a Nigerian guy, an Igbo guy, um, I learned that her family kind of bestowed her with an Igbo name, which I thought was beautiful. Um, and she has very much made herself a part of the Igbo culture in her personal life, which she has shown snippets of here and there. So I really admire that, too. Um, so and I was a big fan of Scandal. Like, I have just liked her as an actress. So I was like, you know what? She is very private. And now she's coming out with a whole memoir. So that piqued my interest and the commentary that she had to share in support of the book was interesting too. So I say all that to say I decided to buy the book. I finished the book yesterday. And by the way, I'm sorry if you guys hear like drilling, they are doing work outside. I'm really just trying to tune it out. But yes, anyway, we move. (laughs) So yes. I finished the book yesterday and I am, I have many thoughts. I have many thoughts, majority of them good. If I, if not everything good, it was a very beautiful memoir. It was a very beautiful memoir, very beautifully written and i would read certain sentences and say okay carrie and then you know i remember that she went to gw george washington university in dc for undergrad and you know that's a pretty well-known prestigious school so it doesn't really surprise me that you know it's such a beautifully written memoir um i actually want to share some of my favorite sentences from the book so one of my favorite sentences is from page 61 so she here was talking about the dynamic between her mom and dad when you know he was kind of going through a particularly tough time and was drinking more alcohol so she wrote this i was fascinated by their dance she was the resistant and resentful snake charmer and he was her viper prepared to poison he came home with slurred speech and sour breath, already missing his friends at the bar, the ones who never complained and who celebrated his charms. She wrangled his ego, constantly pirouetting through the landmine of its discontent, unclear that she would ever escape it. So just the kind of like metaphoric use of words that she employs in this sentence with like the snake charmer and the python or the... Um, whatever type of snake, (laughs) cobra, Um, and then kind of doing that dance with the problem being his drinking and the mom kind of just trying to figure out how to handle him when he comes home and, you know, everything like that. So that was one of my favorite sentences in the book. Um, My next favorite sentence in the book is on page 65. And she is describing her panic attacks here that she started developing when she was really young because she would oftentimes hear her parents fighting at night, like almost on a nightly basis. And usually she would pretend that she didn't hear what was going on. And when, they, when she woke up in the morning, her parents pretended like nothing happened, but it got to a point where it was really affecting her and her panic attacks developed. So she wrote this on page 65. I developed panic attacks at night. They manifested first as a rhythm of anxiety that encircled my brain, then evolved into a rapid pulsing, a whirling frenzy of metallic thumps, like those nauseating old spinning rides at a county fair. So I thought, you know, the metaphoric use that she employs here too was really helpful with kind of developing the imagery in your head of how bad that they got. Um, And then my next favorite sentence in the book was on page 221. We are jumping all the way to almost present day and this was when she was on scandal and she's talking about at this point far before in the novel she discussed you know her challenges with eating and compulsive exercising that was very unhealthy. So she's discussing how she was kind of doing the dance with her eating while being at Shonda Rhimes's house because they were watching some of the first footage of Scandal after filming. So this is at the end of paragraph, the end of the paragraph on page 221. She wrote, There I perfected the art of eating more than my fair share, often binging when I could find ways to be alone with their bountiful rations, and hiding the footprints of my transgressions, careful not to leave obvious clues of my private torment. So at this point, even with the success that she was having with scandal and just getting to this point in her career, she was still struggling with this. Um, And I know that she has been open about being in therapy. Um, Earlier on in the book, she talks about hitting rock bottom and finally seeking help for this behavior. I will go to that point in the book as well. Because she expressed how she, you know, when this was really difficult for her, this behavior. So ultimately she would kind of like, she would eat and eat and eat. um, And instead of binging, she didn't want to be able to categorize herself as like the typical um, person who was diagnosed with bulimia or um, anorexia. So she, um, in her mind at the time, thought that, you know, she could eat what she wants and to however extent, but she would just like exercise and exercise and exercise and, you know, for hours at a time. And it was just so unhealthy. So she did express how, you know, she tried to discuss this with her family members. And, you know, they would just come back to her and say that exercise is healthy. You know, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. And I just kind of felt for her in those moments because she really didn't have anyone to turn to about the behavior that she was, you know, exhibiting. And it spoke to things are much better at, you know, in present day, I would say, even though there's still work to be done. But I'm I'm pretty sure at that time it was even harder to have discussions about mental health amongst Black family members, you know, who even knew where to start with that. And now she's dealing with this, which is rooted in her kind of unclarity or lack of clarity about her identity at this point, not knowing what, you know, the truth was about her and her parents not wanting to share it Um, and honestly having no plan to share it until When she, you know, almost in present day, pretty much when she was going to do the Finding Her Roots show and she um, wanted her parents to participate and then they started asking questions and then ultimately declined. And this is kind of how everything started um, snowballing to where the parents couldn't avoid you know, telling her any longer. um, Because they do mention in the book that they considered her, her dad was like, there's nothing to talk about, like, you're my daughter. And her mom mentioned that they either would have taken this to their grave, or they would have like wrote a letter and given her instructions, you know, at the time or about when they were going to die, if they were able to anticipate it, of where she could find this information but it really wasn't their plan to let her know about this while they were still alive, honestly. So yes, a lot of what her struggles are rooted in is having this internal disconnect with herself, but never being able to dig deep enough or know enough to find out what the root of all of this was. And now she's finding out because she has to find out because of this episode that she was going to be a part of. So yes, the eating behaviors and the compulsive exercise is just a piece of the struggle that she was dealing with in her like late 20s and moving on and she knew that she was a, she knew that this was a problem and she was trying to find help. she was trying to find people to talk to. She went to her family. all they pretty much said was you know that what she was doing was good and she's just taking care of herself. she's just trying to be healthy and there's a um, in the chapter and education. She talks about, you know, what she kind of experienced in this, in this way. She says, when I try to talk about it with friends and family, I was told that everyone eats when they're upset and that exercise is good for you. Maybe people were unable to see me as being sick, messy, and flawed, or they reacted that way because of how our culture has normalized the insanity around food and body image. But I had lost control and I knew it. My entire life revolved around the vicious cycle of hating what I saw in the mirror using food to comfort and quiet those thoughts and feelings, and then punishing myself with exercise and starvation to try to fix this body that seemed to be the source of all my pain. I was at war with myself. There seemed to be no escape from the demons, the hopelessness and agony that led to thoughts of suicide. So it got pretty dark for her. And in the margins, I wrote that um, they didn't know or weren't aware of the mental burden behind the behaviors that Carrie was exhibiting. And I also wrote, you know, the impression of perfection and being all put together, were they not able to see past that and see what she was truly struggling with? I like to write while I'm reading, you know, as thoughts come based off of what is on the page. And, you know, in reading that question now, you know, the answer to me is no. Either they could not see it or they did not want to see it because a theme in this book, that Carrie touches on time and time again. is just how her parents just wanted to feel like they had the perfect life. Sure, they had the secret, this huge secret, this family altering secret. But on any given day, they pretended like there was nothing wrong. And with that, she always felt like she had to be perfect because her parents trying to be perfect. They were trying to pretend that there was nothing wrong. And Carrie was always thinking, am I crazy? Is something wrong with me? What am I missing? And in those moments where things would kind of like seep out or bubble up or the picture wouldn't look so perfect, she would blame herself. If there was conflict between her parents, she would blame herself. Those fights that she had to kind of pretend that she wasn't aware of, she would blame herself. She would, you know, and and children do this all the time. Um, If there is conflict in their family or if their parents aren't getting along, they might think it's their fault and they will internalize that. But in reading this book, I just kept saying there's no way she could have known. There's no way she could have known. There is no way that she could have been aware of this secret. There was no one to tell her and her parents were not trying to tell her at all. So I think that, you know, she was really in a tough place. And I don't know that she, you know, with therapy, she could have and those supports and those tools I'm sure she could have made progress but there's only a certain level that she could have gotten to based off of this book and in my opinion that she wouldn't there's a certain point she would have gotten to that I don't think she could go beyond because honestly this revelation for her is a breakthrough. This is ultimately the missing piece. This information that she learned from her parents is the missing piece of the puzzle that she has been trying to put together. And for the most part was cohesive, but it had this big gaping hole and she did not know what was meant to be there to fill it until she learned the news. So she struggled a lot. She struggled a lot with... Um, maladaptive eating behaviors. She struggled with compulsive exercise. It's mentioned here, like I said, that she was dealing with thoughts of suicide. She got to a point that was kind of like rock bottom for her. And she was like, you know, honestly, it's do or die for me, pretty much literally, and was really trying to claw her way out from there. And then it goes on in the chapter. In the weeks that followed, I started therapy, both one-on-one and in group settings. The performance I'd been maintaining for close to do- two decades began to ebb away. I began learning to embrace my truth, to have my feelings, to allow myself to be messy and imperfect and human. I learned that I was not alone in my suffering and a newfound relationship with the divine began to guide me toward more loving kindness for myself, more gratitude for my life and more awareness for the sacred power of everything around me. So this was kind of the beginning of her getting to know herself as real and as authentically as she could within her own power. And I think this is a big part of why she was drawn so much to acting. While reading this book and reading her background and her sharing her history and her childhood and her dynamic with her parents and you know feeling the need to be perfect for them, feeling the need to be the, you know, ideal child but having that disconnect inside of her. I wonder if she was drawn to acting because it allowed her the opportunity to step out of that box that she put herself in and felt like she had to be in for the sake of her family. I wonder if the appeal of acting was, or at least partly because for a time, however many months she was in a role for a movie, she could be somebody else. She could not be who she was. She can kind of ignore the trials and the tribulations and the struggles that she was dealing with on a regular basis. She can literally focus on someone else, the character on the page. She can focus on embodying who that was. She can focus on learning their behaviors and their history and their mannerisms, um, and their family dynamics. She could literally become somebody else. And with that, she didn't have to live in herself, you know? So I wonder with knowing the truth now, what Keeps her, I know she loves acting, you know, because, you know, for many people, you stay in a career because you love it so much. I wonder if that was her initial reason for loving acting so much, or at least part of it. And then now that she knows the truth about herself, I wonder if that is still part of the reason why she loves acting, or if new reasons have kind of come up for her why she stays in the profession, and why she loves it so much. I know the um, love for storytelling is there, but I wonder what deeper reasons might be involved. So if I were to interview Carrie Washington, I would definitely ask her those questions, because I can see how she transformed, you know, from early childhood to early adulthood to now, pretty much. And now, knowing who she is truly, but to a degree, not really, you know, because she to this day does not know who her sperm donor is. She found out that the doctor who performed the artificial insemination had passed away some years ago. So she's not able to have that connection to move forward. But she said that the producers of the Finding Your Roots TV show are still trying to do the work as much as they can. So, you know, she has really been so open in this book about um, her family dynamic growing up. And I wonder, too, how her parents feel about the openness and transparency in this book. I wonder if they've read the book. I wouldn't be surprised if they haven't, to be quite honest. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they started reading it and stopped. Because in her quest to be in control of her narrative, which is well within her rights, and, you know, tell her story. There are parts of this book that don't portray her parents in the best light. You know, I talk about the incessant fighting that she was a witness of when she was younger, even though she kind of had to pretend that it wasn't happening. And, you know, she talks about her father's drinking, she talks about the disconnection she felt from her mother, And she talks about how she always felt like there was like a wall or like she would try and get close to her mom, but her mom would not allow the depth of closeness that she was longing for. That's not the case anymore because everything is out in the open and the truth is out in the open. But she talks about these difficulties with herself and her parents. And I'm just trying to think if I was her parents, if I were her parents, like, how would I process all of this? Like it would be really hard. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had a difficult time kind of wrestling with the reality of this book being, you know, a real thing. And, you know, maybe kind of hearing things here and there, but not really reading for themselves. I don't know. You know, I don't know Carrie. I don't know her parents. But I'm just trying to think if I was in their shoes, like, what would I do? Um, because she she's very open in this book. She talks about in her like early twenties, late teens, early twenties, she had a fling or like a relationship with a girl. She talks about her feelings of dissatisfaction with the entertainment history in terms of like doing such good work doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna get the accolades for it. Even if you feel you deserve it, even if the people around you feel you deserve it, because. The, you know, recognition that you get from the Golden Globes and the Emmys and the Oscars and the SAGs and all those like performances of who is the best is behind the scenes, you know, you have to kind of be willing to campaign for those accolades and you know some people are willing to do it some people are not certain celebrities come to mind who have had more of like a public struggle with this and there are certain people that are fine with it they are fine to kind of go on the talk shows and go on the press circuit and talk about the movie and everything and the buzz is building and all that stuff and there are celebrities that aren't really about that like they kind of just want the work to speak for itself and sometimes that breaks through And the accolades, you know, they rightfully receive them. And sometimes it's the campaigning, it's the going around, it's the working for the popularity that ends up kind of doing, making the decisions. So that was that was interesting to read because you wonder with certain movies and certain TV shows and certain actors and actresses like they did amazing this was an Oscar worthy performance and you ask around and people agree with you but they don't get those awards and you're like what this does not make sense this does not make sense so her providing that insight was um, helpful because i'm like oh because if you don't want to play the game to a degree you are not going to get the awards and that's that just is what it is so i want to also share some of the most insightful parts of the book for me. Carrie, when she kind of came down from the dream of acting into the process of acting, into the auditioning, into the rejections, into the hoping and then hopes being dashed, like. Her going from deciding to do this to where she is today, as with many actors and actresses, is a long history and journey of trial and error and rejection and self-doubt and lack of confidence and low self-esteem because of just what the industry is and can be. And I feel like Carrie thankfully had some of the right people in her corner in terms of certain family members, her cousin, Michael, who told her how to approach an acting agency that would represent her, told her that he should interview them just as they are interviewing her. And I think she applied that to that process and that impressed the acting agency to where the interview went well. And then she had certain people in her corner. There was a secretary or administrative assistant at her middle school, I believe, who knew of Carrie's acting pursuits and how good she was and had a friend who was in the industry who she connected her to. So, you know, a big part of it is her talent, obviously, but sometimes talent will only get you so far if you don't have the right connections and you don't know the right information. So I think about that. I think about how with her process of going, of entering the process of acting and not kind of having her heading the clouds and dreaming of what it would be like, she came to this revelation. And I'm going to read it for you. It's on page 131. This was amazing to read. She writes, auditioning is one of the areas in my life where I learned the hard way that I needed to take hold of the concept of success and wrangle it away from the grip of others to define it for myself. This may sound strange coming from a person who is considered generally successful, but I don't do well when my goal is to be liked, loved, popular, or famous. I can't control what other people think of me, and when I try, even now, I can lose a sense of myself and get pulled back into feelings of fear and weakness, and into the ominous feeling I had growing up that something was wrong, and that the only way to fix it is to be as perfect as possible only as an actor. It's not just the love of my parents that I'm gunning for. It is the adoration of millions of fans, viewers, followers, and critics. So here, she had to define success in acting for herself. Because like I was saying, you can, you know, putting myself in her shoes, she can step into a role and feel like she gave it her all and maybe feel like, you know, it is award-worthy. But then the industry that she's in even if what she feels is valid and true may not reflect that so at the end of the day she had to decide what is success for myself in this field what is success for myself as an actress Because if I am trying to be popular, if I'm trying to be liked, if I'm trying to play this game, I'm ultimately going to lose myself. And considering her history and grappling with her identity since being a child, it's only going to make things harder for her. So I really appreciated that insight that she shared. And then another experience that she had was on page 73. She shares that she was working on a movie and one of the actors shared this insight. When I was in my 30s, I did an independent film called The Details, a quirky movie with a lot of raccoons, starring Toby Toby Maguire, Elizabeth Banks, and Ray Liotta. One afternoon while we sat in the makeup trailer, the conversation moved toward relationships and marriage. One of the actors on set was going through a divorce, and he said something about relationships that I will never forget. He admitted to me that he had not always been honest in his relationships in the past. He said, my therapist told me the cruelest thing you can ever do to another human being is to label their suspicions as false when you know them to be true. His therapist explained that when you teach a person to believe that their internal truth is a lie, you take from them the very thing that is most important to each of us, the ability to know and trust ourselves. So I un- I can understand why this hit home for her because... She has always felt like there's something wrong or, you know, there's something wrong with her, but to the degree that they could, her parents did not validate that feeling. They did not acknowledge that feeling. So with that deep rooted truth, being not being aware of that and not having that be acknowledged, it makes sense that she would literally question everything else that she thought and felt in life, you know? If she had this feeling for as long as she could remember, but didn't have anything around her to validate it, of course, if I was in her shoes, I would think it would just be me. Of course, I would think I was the crazy one. And if I think I'm the crazy one, then literally anything I think or anything I believe, I'm going to second guess. Because I... I'm feeling this way, but my reality says otherwise. So if that's the case, then who's to say everything else I believe is true? Who's to say everything else I think makes sense? So I definitely understood why that conversation that she was having with the actors resonated with her. Um, I really appreciated the insight she gave about separating the act of acting or the process and the industry around acting separating that from success and her having to define that for herself because if she allowed herself to get sucked into the vortex of everything that is separate from the craft she could lose herself and maybe who knows she might even resent the um the acting itself and you know maybe she would not be in love with it anymore so this book, I really loved it. I loved it. Um, She was so open. She was so honest. And, you know, that's not something you really get from Carrie, which is, you know, well within her rights. She is a person she, you know, is granted, she is entitled to privacy. But I do understand kind of having these experiences happen to her. And, you know, For so long, feeling like she was crazy about how she felt and now feeling empowered and wanting to channel her feelings into this medium, which is this book. So like I said, if I were to interview Carrie, some of the questions that I would ask her is... Is her relationship to acting as it was growing up and in her early teens different at all now with everything that has transpired? With, you know, getting married, with having kids, with the revelation as she refers to it in the book, knowing that her and her father are not biologically related, but that is her dad. Like, are you kidding me? That's her dad. She ends the book with um, talking about will watching and. It's pretty much the last few paragraphs of the last chapter called Cues. She says this, she's describing how, you know, they were out at sea with the um, kayaking group going well watching. They were waiting for whales and then they started to kind of come around. And she had this moment with the whale that she believes, you know, was kind of like, oh, it's me. It's like there's something bigger than me happening right now. And the guide says this, the guide of the group says this. It's not the father, my guide explained as we paddled back to shore. My entire body was still trembling with excitement. The male is the whale who wants to mate with the mother next season. He accompanies the mother and her child on their journey to prove himself worthy. It was another hint, another cue. The three of them were a family forged to survive the crossing. He had chosen them. They had chosen each other. He may not have been the biological father, but in their journey together, he was the dad. This pretty much says everything. Her dad may not be her biological father, but that's her father. That's who was meant to be in her life. That's who was meant to be a part of her journey you know, from childhood, from infancy, growing up. Now, granted, things may have been different, things kind of transpired in a different way because there's a level of honesty that wasn't there growing up, but it's there now. And there's a level of intimacy that they're now able to connect to between the two of them as daughter and father. And there's a level of connect, there's a level of intimacy that they're able to connect to with her and her mother that they wouldn't have been able to have if this hadn't happened. She talks about how her mom has had several bouts of cancer and there's a closeness with her taking care of her that I don't think, and that she doesn't think they would have been able to have between each other if they did not have this experience of telling the truth. And I think I'll end the podcast here by saying that she mentions in um, some of her interviews that she understands the fear of her father having this truth come to light because he's under the impression that she loves him and she says that she loves him because she believes he's her biological father. But now with the truth out in the open, she talks about being able to tell him that she loves him and knowing that it's coming from the truest place possible because she now knows the truth and it doesn't change anything. You know, she would still like to know who her biological father is. She does talk about that in the book, but she knows at the end of the day, her dad is her dad. She sees traits in him that she embodies you know, there are pieces of his personality that she admires so much. and you know, at the end of the day, there was there's nothing that she would change. That's her dad. And that's gonna be her dad forever and ever and ever. So I definitely recommend reading this book, especially if you're a fan of Carrie, if you're a fan of her work and her TV shows and her movies. I hope I didn't give away too much. I feel like you could listen to this episode and still read the book. There's a lot that I did not touch on. And I really tried to kind of leave enough to the book so that you can read it and still get new experiences, even if you listen to, you know, this episode. So I really enjoyed it. And I will definitely remember this book to be the book, you know, the first book that I read and finished in 2024. So with that, I'm going to end the podcast here. Thank you guys so much. If you enjoyed this episode or any past episodes, please rate, please review on your preferred listening platform. Please share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Please reach out to me at um, contact at the lettersandlayers.com. You could also reach out via my social media handle on Instagram. And again, thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye. We'll be